You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, Sarah Jane Morris, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Community Pulse. My name is Jason Hand. I'm here with two of my additional hosts, SJ and PJ. And we have got a couple of great uh, guests with us today. We're going to be talking about online community management. So right now, we are all pretty aware that connecting with our communities online is more important than ever. Uh, however, some of this isn't really, uh, you know, accustomed work to DevRel for, for many of us. And in a lot of cases, a lot of our, compu- our online efforts have really been relegated to the community management uh, areas of our team or maybe even support. So uh, we've brought on a couple of really great guests today. We've got Marjorie Anderson and Wesley Faulkner, uh, who are going to be joining us to talk about online communities, sharing tips to trip, excuse me, tips, tricks, and best practices from their combined 20 years of experience. So welcome, Wesley and Marjorie. Uh, Why don't you two um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, starting with Marjorie. Thanks. So I am Marjorie Anderson. I'm the product manager for community at Project Management Institute, and I'm also the creator of Community by Association, which is an online resource and community for association community managers. Been in community for about seven years now, and you can find me on Twitter at Marjorie A, that's M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E-A-Y-Y-E-E. Hi, um, I'm Wesley Faulkner. Um, I was just recently at MongoDB as their technical community manager. Um, I um, have been in DevRel for about two years now, so I'm guessing Marjorie has been in it for 18. Um, just, doing the, just doing the math. Uh, <laughs> um, I also am working on a project uh, called OneDev community um, with uh, some people in the community space uh, to help give support during this time of uh, COVID. Um, but uh, right now I am freelance and my Twitter handle is Wesley 83 uh, on the Twitter that's spelled W E S L E Y 83. Awesome. And we're glad you're both here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. This Thank is awesome. You. So why don't we get right into it with uh, just kind of understanding what are the differences between our online communities and our in real life or what we say IRL communities for those uh, kids say those uh, yeah (laughs) for those listening who aren't hip kids um, give us a little better understanding what those what those uh, are I can tell you that our uh, meetup community was extremely structured so that um, they were built around a commute Uh, so at certain different demographics. It was like around lunchtime for different parts of the world. Um, For here in North America, it was usually around six or seven after people would get off work and give some time for travel. Uh, With pivoting to a virtual event, uh, of course, all of that goes out of the window with no commute and that things that would happen after hours are actually now inconvenient because now we're going into their um, family time. So during the day, earlier in the day is actually where it's shifted, where we've moved people from a physical meeting space to an online streaming space. So it's something that they can do in a quick break in between their meetings or in between in the middle to break up their day um, to um, something that they actually have to compete with other virtual events that are also going on simultaneously. Um, With the physical event, of course, there are some limitations with the community, especially if it's local because the event space would be taken up or the same uh, adjacent groups would make sure that they would schedule things that are different with this new online space. um, Everyone's competing for that attention and that time. And so that is a huge difference that I'm seeing right off the bat. 
Yeah. And I think just to add to that on a broader level, besides where people are gathering, I think one of the big differences is the intentionality of engagement with between an online community and real life community. And by that, I mean the, that when you engage in real life, you can immediately get a feel for the experiences that you want to engage in and the people that you want to engage with through conversations and you know, things like stimulating experience. You can generally, in a in real life situation, have immediate conversations with people. You can you know, see, touch, feel you know, what's going on around you and really figure it out in a matter of a few minutes. Whereas with you, an, um, an online space, it takes a little bit more focus and thought. It's, you know, it's not like walking into an in real life space and hearing someone say, hey, this is who we are, this is why we gather, this is how we can help, you know, ask me anything, and you being able to walk right up to that person. Um, in online communities, you really need to seek out the helpers, and usually a good community can help you do that in some way through leaderboards and onboarding and things like that, but it's, it's much slower. So you, you have to look for the conversations and the information that matters to you, and then figure out those connections that you need to make to have the experience that you want to have. And that takes time, which is why for me, I think uh, community growth in an online sense is much slower. Yeah. Also um, in, in the virtual space, it's one to many much more than the one-on-one like Marjorie was bringing up. Like when someone comes in, you can have that personal connection immediately. But when you're a virtual presenter, um, someone joins, you might be able to give them a shout out, but you can't give that dedicated face-to-face time, even if it is for two, three minutes, uh, like you can in real life um, for virtual events, you have to find a way to substitute that. And, and it's not just the, the presenter to the attendee, it's also the attendees amongst themselves. Um, it's hard for them to make that connection, um, especially when um, you know pictures are optional, um, smiles are optional, handshakes are, are like impossible. So, uh, and, and you, you don't get like, who's the friendly person to approach and who is the new person in the group so that we can support them. Right. I, I, th- I think it's interesting. You mentioned it's, it's hard to tell. And, and you both kind of mentioned this, there is no see, touch, feel sensory input, especially in an online, you know, if you're looking at a forum or you're, you're doing it through Slack or something like that, or, or even some of these more inventive places that are doing it in animal crossing, um, which is interesting and good for them. Uh, there's no way to kind of understand when someone, I feel like when someone walks into a conference or someone's walking through the hallway of a conference, there is a certain body language that says, hey, I'm new here. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not sure of myself. Um, or I'm approachable, but I'm not clear on what's going on. Or I'm an expert and I'm totally open to helping you, walking you through things, whatever. There's all those kind of interactions that go by visibly um, at, at, a, at an, a, real, a real life event that there's no way to really kind of duplicate that in, a, in an online event. But it seems that people are really, especially with the situation as it is now, they're really working towards making that happen. Um, would you agree that like that one of the focuses is trying to, for lack of a better term, more humanize the online experience? And in a way, yes, um, there is an effort, um, but there's also a huge gap. Um, unfortunately, in terms of the humanizing and kind of making sure that everyone feels welcome, uh, virtual events are, have taken a huge step back um, from the physical space. Um, there are been there's been a lot of efforts and a lot of like uh, there's, there's a COCs to, to help protect people. Um, there are people who 
do sign language sign language to, to help for accessibilities or some uh, a screen that uh, transcribes what the speaker is saying. Um, there are special areas for people to take breaks. Um, not all of that stuff is transitioned over to the virtual space yet. Um, and so it's really hard to um, make people feel welcome and to be more um, customized for those who would not be included. Um, especially uh, now for the companies who haven't traditionally done virtual events and they're just scrambling to put things together and to, to glue things to, to just so they can keep going forward. A lot of that work that was done in the physical space kind of went out the window and people were like, we just need to get online. We need to get people dialed in. And then you hear about Zoom bombing. You hear about like people hacking into um, like AA meetings um, where people are being extremely vulnerable. Um, there are all these new vulnerabilities uh, that is when you take these tools off the shelf and you haven't customized it for your use or your community. Um, so yes, people are trying to figure this out, um, but I think we're extremely early on and it still has not been solved yet. You bring up a really great point. I've certainly seen, uh, you know, not only my peers in the community space, but also, you know, even where I work at HubSpot, we've been trying to sort of like a low key scramble or high key scramble uh, <laughs> to figure out like, how can we, get the same value that we were getting from in-person events in a virtual way. Is that the right question to be asking? Should we be asking broader community questions at this point? Um, is, is, um, is it, is it, you know, is now the time to be very quickly like saying, okay, this meetup happened here. Let's, let's just make it go online. Um, or should we be leaning more into online community and, and, figuring out ways that we can maybe accelerate connection through our existing online tools. So what's the balance there? So for me, I think that um, organizations, companies, people who generally don't engage people in an online space should be thinking long-term. So yes, this pandemic has really put us in a situation holistically to where we have to scramble and figure out, okay, now how do we bring these people together to still provide value, but long-term, you really need to be thinking about how do we meet people where we are and for many of the audiences that people serve and especially that next generation of worker that's coming into the workforce, regardless of who you serve, they're wanting to um, come together in very different ways. And for some of them, that's face-to-face. -face. For some of them, that's online. For some of them, they want to jump on and be able to quickly chat with someone uh, to get information about a problem that they're having. So when organizations are thinking about going online, yes, serve the immediate need, but you also need to be thinking long-term strategy because some people want to engage in an online space and they want to be able to do so with your company. But if you're not providing them the resources to do so, they're going to find another way to do it. So figure out how do we continue to be valuable to people regardless of how they choose to gather. Um, and if you're, if you're not incorporating that into your overall strategy, then I think that's a huge miss on most Part, most organizations and most companies. Yeah, and it sounds like now might be a time to also kind of realign expectations and goals around community and events and, you know, meeting people where they are, like you say, and really convey to folks that this is a longer term play. Now we're going to have to uh, really invest in, in what you just said, like meeting folks where they are, building community spaces for the long term and, and that we're, we can't sort of expect that those like, you know, metrics that we're used to from events 
butts and seats, uh, whatever the other fun metrics that people like to, to measure for events. And I think also that the, you have to be more intentional about the thing that you want to create. Um, some people think that'll just happen organically or they're super worried about being really polished to the point where they say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we want to do. Um, and they don't they don't rely on the community themselves to have input during this process like would like it would happen naturally at a physical event there's a speech it's over people are still milling about and then you hear feedback organically because people just say I loved it or like what was going on and you hear that usually with a virtual event it's over and the they cut it off, right? And so they don't have that milling about, they don't have that place where there's a give and take. So you have to be extremely uh, open with, hey, we're still figuring this out. Be vulnerable, say like, we are not the experts, but this is the space we wanna create. This is the type of feedback we wanna hear. And this is the type of participation that we want y'all to have with each other. And I think that is something that has to be said. And some people are still afraid of saying, we wanna look professional, we wanna look polished. And you have to let some of that go and just say, hey, we're all in this together. There's a webcam in my bedroom and we're gonna do it. So um, the, the veneer of like, we are fully polished and we know exactly what we're doing needs to needs to fade a little bit. I think a lot of this right now for, um, well, really probably everyone in the, every industry, every job, we're all experimenting with <clears throat> how to be efficient and, and what is important and what is the job. And now that we can't meet in person, uh, how does that change the job? It has to at least change how we write the job, right? Because maybe we have some sort of, just language in there that said, you know, we got to like actually meet people to do something. And, and maybe that was just the way we structured it at the time, because who would have th ever thought that we wouldn't have, you know, the ability to meet with people as often. And so I think, uh, you know, even with my team, we're doing a ton of experimenting with different stuff, but it all comes back to um, getting the feedback. So, you know, whatever you do, it's, it's, it feels like it's just even more important right now to not just shove content out there, but put it out there maybe the way that feels right for you and then try to like just get as much feedback on this. Like who, what is this working for you? Is this the way you want your content, you know, your information? Is this the way you want to teach or be taught? Is this the way you want to interact with people? You know, and I think you put yourself on the other side, which I, I think I'm also on that other side too, is I don't know if, I don't know if I know how I want to be communicated to just yet. I mean, I'm still scrambled just trying to deal with my other stuff. And yeah, I'm thinking, well, this was a great, this would be a great time for me to attend some online events and pick up some new like skills and do whatever else. But man, I'm telling you what, there's so many of them. And, and I don't even know, like when I, when I like tune into one, if, if this is the way I want to, you know, consume it because I, maybe I don't have time to like clear out my schedule for the next couple hours or, you know what I mean? Like it, there's just so many unknowns and everybody's experimenting and so much of it depends on your, your audience and, and what it is you're trying to convey or all these different things. But um, yeah, I think I, I'm picking up on what both of you are saying is that, you know, right now cut, cut everybody a little bit of slack. We, nobody knows how to do any of this stuff um, and talk to us, you know, like let's keep the communication lines open and help us understand you know, how it can all help each other. Cause that's what we're trying to do. And I think that's at the basis of maybe what both of you were, were just talking about. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. And I think it's also important that once you get that feedback, you act on it. I think a lot of times we gather feedback um, or organizations, I won't say we, and, you know, broadly organizations in some companies gather feedback 
um, yeah, because they want to know. And then they get it and they're like, well, okay, well now we know. And then we don't do anything with it. We go back to what worked before because that's what has always worked instead of thinking, how can we innovate on behalf of people based off of what they say to give them the experiences, the information, the resources they want, help them learn in ways that work for them. Um, so it's very important that you not only collect that feedback, but then action on it. Well, I, I think it's interesting because I, I wonder if, I, and whether it's an online event or an in real life event, doesn't really matter. I think a lot of people collect feedback because A, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you're supposed to find out if everybody had a good time, just like if you have a dinner party, everybody had a good time, great. Um, but the the key there, and I, and I love that you said this, Marjorie, is acting upon it. And I wonder how many how many organizations, whether they be you know conference organizers or companies or, or whatever, get feedback and they look at it and they're like, well, that wasn't the feedback we were looking for, crumple it up, toss it behind them. Oh, but this one is, so we're gonna focus on this one because that's the feedback we wanted. That's the feedback we were going for. We will create action items in relation to this. Um, and, and in some ways where I think it's, you know, I, I've seen situations where people have said like, well, we had a very weak code of conduct. Oh, but this person appreciated that we had a weak code of conduct. So that's the feedback we're looking for. And it's like, maybe that really isn't the feedback you should be looking at. No, I was just going to say, I think that, and then when that happens and they wonder why there's a problem with retention or whether it's mm -hmm. why sales drop or, Absolutely. you know, why people aren't coming back or why aren't people referring people to us? I mean, there's a reason because you're not listening to, to the people that you say their, their opinion is important, but you're not doing anything with that. So, and I think that it, there's a big problem with confirmation bias when it comes to looking for feedback as well, because it hurts to know that the thing that you're doing isn't working, but it's also valuable to know that that thing that you're doing is not working so that you can then change it so that it does work for the people that you serve. Uh, if you ignore that feedback, then then you're not in it for the people that you serve, you're in it for yourself at that point. Absolutely. I, th I think one thing that when people, some places get feedback, um, it may make it may make like totally logical sense to the person asking it, but the person receiving it, it's like that is such that doesn't make any sense. So like you're saying, hey, if it kills this on surfaces, can I just inject it directly into my bloodstream? <laughs> that's 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 something that sounds really idiotic. But for for a person who's a professional, someone says, hey, you have your event at this time. Can we move it this time? If there is a reason for not addressing something that is equally important as into taking feedback and addressing it because one it gives the person a better exposure about why you're doing something and the methodology about why you're doing it so if you say we can't do that because x y and z but that also opens up the door if they say if they say well what about uh we do it this way and it addresses all your concerns and mine it opens it up for that solution to take root. And that suggestion, even though you might've gotten one, may be representing several people and that only, only that one person had the courage to give that suggestion. And so even if that is not being addressed and you say why, someone else could say, hey, I have this problem and now that I know that you work this way, can you address my issue because I know now how it works and I just think this will slot in perfectly. And so there is real value in addressing feedback that you've, you yourself cannot practically enact. And explaining that is, is showing that you took the time, you took the care, and also it lets the person in to understand 
all the things that you juggle just to make an event happen. So that there is a lot of value in addressing feedback, even if you cannot do anything about it. Yeah. There's nothing more powerful in my experience than bringing a community member along that journey with you, um, even if it doesn't have the outcome they initially sort of proposed. Um, that transparency and that visibility really tends to convert them to being, being moving from an NPS term, sorry, a detractor to, you know, um, whatever the opposite is of a detractor, uh, an attractor, I don't know. Um, promoter. I'm going to be in so thank you, the net promoter score. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I certainly like that's, that's the way to get folks engaged, you know, and it's really powerful stuff. And I've gotten co-leaders and co-organizers through this process saying like, I really don't have the bandwidth to do this. And they're like, well, I'll step up and I will do that. And I was like, thank you. This is going to make the whole community better and it's work that I don't have to do. Thank you for coming up to help. Yes. Well, I'm curious. And I, I think that that like both the receiving feedback, acting upon feedback, gathering co-conspirators and co-organizers for different events. I think that's really obvious in the, in the, in real life events, because, you know, these are the people that stayed late on the first day and the second day. And we're talking to you about logistical things and not just, you know, like so-and-so speaker was great, bring them back next year. Or, you know, I really like the food, but there are people that are like, Hey, you know, the sound quality, this venue, blah, blah. They're actually, they're actively engaged and involved. Is that something that's more difficult in an online community or an online event? Because like, like you were, you were both kind of saying like a lot of these new events that come out, it's like, okay, so this, the lights go down, the speaker walks off the stage. Uh, okay air quotes, I forget that we don't do video sometimes. They walk off the stage, so to speak. And, you know, maybe there's a Slack channel for discussion afterwards. Maybe there isn't, but that's usually between the speaker and the attendees. Not a lot of people are hanging out with the organizers saying, hey, this was really cool. I liked that, you know, you had them do it live instead of recording the talk beforehand. Or I like that you could see both them and their slides or, or whatever, whatever schematic or logistical thing you've done. Um, like you want to collect feedback, but it might be harder because again, no one's physically sticking around. Do you find that that's true or that's changing slowly? So I, I'll speak from my experience. My, um, community program does virtual events all the time. And one of the things that we're, there's a couple of things that we do, we have a war room that we all get in and this is the, this is the area that we're, we're in to run this virtual event and we have a networking lounge and someone's got eyes on that. And we've got someone who's monitoring social to get feedback on that. And then we do a post event survey to get feedback there. So we have very, um, we have a lot of mechanisms for gathering that same type of information in a virtual space. And I think that if you have the mindset of, we still have to interact with these folks, we still have to ensure that they're able to interact with one another and have conversation. If you go in with that mindset and plan your event with the intention of still getting that type of information from your attendees, it's just as easy because they're still chatting in chat, in chat rooms. They're still emailing to say, hey, this is how I feel about this particular piece of content. They're still going into a separate Slack channel or whatever you have set up to interact. You're still gathering that feedback. You can still action on it and you can still address it in some way, shape or form. And, and that's what we generally try to do is even if it's coming in through an email, if it's coming in through the community, if it's coming in through the networking lounge, wherever it's coming in, we're gathering it and we're responding in real time to let people know we heard you we might need to follow up with you to ask a few more questions or, hey, that's great. Thank you for attending. So we still want people to feel like we're highly engaged with them because they took the time to engage with us. 
Marjorie, I have a follow-up question that's a little bit in the weeds, but just based on that, um, I'm wondering this, and I suspect that if I'm wondering it, hopefully our audience would also be wondering this. Based on your experience um, with these virtual events that have all these different roles and folks monitoring different sort of channels, um, how what is this sort of ideal, like what is the cap on how many folks can participate? Um, and I know that might depend on you know, how many folks you have on the inside, like looking at these different channels, but we're grappling with that question right now. Like, and one concerted, concerted, like, you know, say Zoom webinar type structured event, like how many folks can we realistically support and still have it be a high value experience for those attending? Well, I'll tell you, we just had a virtual event in March. We used a platform called Entrado, it used to be an expo, they were purchased by West. That event brought in 40,000 attendees. Wow. Um, we worked collaboratively with our online learning department, our marketing department, our customer care department. Like it was a total group effort. So sky's the limit is what All I'll right. say. That's as encouraging. Long as as long I was as not expecting well. you to say 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah, sky's the limit when, you know, you've got people on your side. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wesley, did you have something else you were going to add to what Marjorie was just talking about? I was just going to, she, she said this and, and I just wanted to like highlight it and put it in bold that uh, a lot of these virtual events are really ephemeral. So when the host kills it, the chat goes away, the connections go away, and it's very important to have a permanent place for people to circle back with each other, be it a Slack group, be it a forum, being a chat room of some sort that doesn't get attached uh, directly. I think all of us know that, hey, let me send you a link. And we don't do it in Zoom, we put it in Slack or somewhere else so that when you can keep it with you forever. Um, so I think something that when organizers are putting together virtual events, make sure that they also set up a space where people can continue that conversation and that they'll know that they'll, they're able to get information even if they have to revisit it three, four, five, six times after the event has concluded. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense because I think that one of the things that we often have with you know with a physical event that people don't consider for a, a non-physical event is, you know, I it's it's ancient and I'm an old person. We've already established that, but like I'll give somebody my business card and I I do it and I've seen other people do it where you write down what you were talking about and what you were going to send to this person or you know what you were going to chat or yeah let's talk about this on Tuesday whatever. Um, like that's something that's still, that's a physical thing that passed from place to place. So yeah, there was a, there was an ephemeral conversation, but I will remember when I go back, cause I've taken my notes, what, what the, what the story is. So yeah, I can see kind of where the point almost of building up that hallway trackish feel by having a separate entity beyond zoom or whatever it is you're using for, for the meetup or the, the, the conference or the event. Something that comes up, like, I feel like every time we talk about this, cause that's definitely the missing element nobody's really solved for. I think I just got an alert on my phone this week about, or one of those moments where it tells you, you know, what, what happened this time last year or whenever. Oh geez. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's these, it's conferences, you know, and it's like going out and hanging out with friends afterwards, getting dinner, um, catching up and then other relationships and other things, you know, kind of evolve from those, um, out of bounds interactions that didn't, that didn't happen because of, or during the event, I guess, or even in the, the back channels or side channels, it's because there was two people, you know, having a conversation and then somebody walked by and said, Hey, I liked your talk. And, and then that led to, oh, what's your name? And then, hey, we're going to go, you know, have some appetizers over here. And there's just all these other things that are going to be so, so hard. I've actually
actually, um, I've been encouraged. I've actually seen that happening to some extent, um, you know, in our, in our Slack community, for example, where folks will like pop into a channel and be like, Hey man, like we'll facilitate like dedicated times where certain fo- like product managers will be in our Slack and people will show up specifically and start chatting and be like, Oh, Hey man, I haven't seen you in ages. Let's like do a zoom like happy hour tomorrow night. Like I actually, that was one of my favorite screenshots from this week was that conversation going on in the Slack. So I think it's just like about getting folks together in the same space and allowing for that kind of connection. It's not as organic, but like being intentional as we've said a couple of times. Yeah. And I think I have a, I have a, a little anecdote to share a couple of years ago, we had a virtual event um, where people had, you know, we had a whole bunch of people in this virtual event and people were talking in the chat rooms and, and things during this event. Um, and it turned out that two of the people that connected within that event lived five houses down from one another. And they have been working collaboratively and being friends and, you know, their kids play together ever since. So I think that if you create the right experience for folks, that online experience can be almost just like an in real life experience. It doesn't have to feel as disjointed and as wonky um, as, as, as it can be. So I think that if you're creating the right experience, it's, it feels good for everybody. Makes sense. I, I, I have a question based on something that, that uh, Wesley kind of mentioned in the very beginning about meetups and, and conflicts with time and everybody getting online and doing these virtual events. Do you think to a degree there's a little bit I mean, putting quality aside because they're all of different quality, but is there a little bit of, of burnout or decision-making burnout that people are having and saying that like, you know, oh, usually I would go to RailsConf because it's April, but now there's 18 Ruby events and meetups that are in April and they're all virtual so I can go to them. I don't have to buy a plane ticket. It's 25 bucks to, to show up to this and get the link to this meeting. Um, I can go wherever I want and people are then freezing and be like, so I will go nowhere. Um, do, you, do you think that that's an issue that, you know, it's almost like, you know, your choice was always a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and now you have a full, a full smorgasbord of food to choose from? Yeah, I think there's an embarrassment of riches at this time with events. And I think that people who are running events, they have two ways to help with mitigating some of the challenges that people have with deciding whether or not to go. Um, one is that they can put, publish their agenda. So this is exactly what we're going to talk about. This is how we're going to talk about it. Here's how you can follow along. And this is the whole schedule of what we're dealing with. People can look at that saying, okay, I'll dip in for this and then pop out for this. Or um, they say, oh, you're really going in depth here. This is going to be a really full-fledged media event. So I will dedicate the time to make sure I go to that. The other thing is there are some events that are single speaker, single topic. They're relatively simple. Um, You're not coordinating a whole group of uh, external speakers where you can do the same event at two different time zones uh, that'll work for people. Saying it's it's during the day or it's at night or um, it also opens up the door for international attendees to go to that event. So if you're able to do and be flexible on we're gonna do this twice or we're gonna do the same thing once a week even, uh, so people's like, oh, I'll, I'll skip this one. I'll go to the next one. You give them opportunity to choose how they want to spend their time because uh, it, is this rare and special or is this like something that I can catch any other day of the week? And being kind of upfront with your material and what you're planning on doing and um, giving 
like a lot of room for people to have flexibility, I think are two ways to mitigate and help people make good choices. And I, I guess the, the other question is that is, uh, is it more difficult to, is it going to be more difficult to find speakers as we move on? Because so many are doing multiple events and that means they're just going to have to write more talks to make it more original. I mean, I would hate to have to write an original talk every time I spoke. I just, I mean, I make it up when I get on stage anyway. So um, I think that's going to be a big part of it. Be, uh, before we wrap up, I was just going to say to me, that you talked about that decision-making burnout. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like when I get on, you know, get on my, so let's say TV and suddenly there's a million things to choose from and I'm like, screw it. And I just like, I find something else to do. And I think it comes down to the content's going to have to be really good. The content's going to have to stand out above the others and not just like content in terms of like standing on stage presentations, but just like the whole thing, you know, if these are going to be ephemeral type of things, even though we're going to try to keep some, some archives from it or some artifacts that live around for a while. Um, it's for me as a decision maker on which, which events and which talks and which speakers I want to go listen to. Um, it's not just as a matter of, of, well, what's happening right now during this hour of this day when I am at this thing. I have a million other things I can choose from, including just picking up my guitar and doing something non-tech related. So how are you going to get me, uh, how are you going to get my eyeballs? And that's the thing I think uh, I'm thinking through a lot and a lot of other people thinking through, because it can't just be you have this one talk you're giving all the time everywhere. Otherwise, why not record it and put it, just make it available? Um, so there's got to be something. Which is actually, that's, a, that's another phenomenon we're seeing is instead of having a live, a live virtual event is saying, you know, hey, I've got eight speakers. They've pre-recorded their talks. Uh, they will be available for questions afterwards, but you're going to watch their talk and then they'll do like a, a Q&A. And then we'll watch another time, do another Q&A. And the interesting thing about that is, is, and then we'll throw all their talks up on YouTube and you can watch them whenever you want. So kind of finding that balance, which, I mean, is that really that different from in real life? Because I would say 70% of the places I speak record my talk um, when they're legally allowed to, because I do have some talks that can't be duplicated for reasons. Um, for FCC reasons, probably, right? Uh, they act, yeah, it's actually, it's uh, performance. It's uh, BMI and ASCAP reasons. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that we've had a lot of great insights um, so anything else you want to say before we had to checkouts? I just want to say, just adding this really quickly. Um, if there, there is competition on getting eyeballs and people to go to events, but it also is, has opened the door for a lot of people to do speaking at events that didn't have, there wasn't room physically or time. Um, so it's, it's actually lifting up a lot of people who didn't feel like they had what it takes to do public speaking or they needed just a break to, to get started. So I think if, if you're looking to be a public speaker, um, this is a great time for you. Please step up. Please just raise your hand and say that you're, you want to do that. Uh, as a person who puts on events, I'd love to hear that. And I would love to give someone a chance and there's room. And just like if you type in <clears throat> how to create a web page on YouTube, there are ways that people do things that talk to different audiences. And so um, it, there's, there's something for everybody. And I think the competition in this space is a good thing for everybody. And I'd also, I think to add on to that from what I've heard, because there is not a need to pay for a flight, pay, pay for a hotel, buy a conference ticket that is an exorbitant price, people who generally before did not have the opportunity to see these events or these speakers that are you know high caliber and delivering great content, for the first time, they're really 
getting the chance to, to kind of lower the barrier and, and everyone's welcome to be, you know, everyone can go to a virtual meetup as long as they have an internet connection. And I think that's an amazing thing that, that in real life events just can't compete with. Yeah. And I would also just add that if you organize events and you've got a community of folks who you're already engaging with, don't think you have to have, you know, top of the line, quote unquote, speakers come to your event. You've got a wealth of knowledge in your community. Lean on your community members, those who are providing extreme amount of value, great content, keeping people um, engaged in conversation. Reach out to those people and bring those into and bring those people into your virtual events. People want to hear from them. They want to hear from them in your online community. I can guarantee you that others will want to hear from them as well. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. And we're all beginners right now. So this is a great time to not only maybe pick up a new programming language or instrument, but also public speaking and, you know, just kind of engaging with communities in new ways, even though it's a little, a little bit of a struggle for all of us. So, uh, okay. I think maybe we're ready to head on into our checkouts, correct? I think, I think so. Um, I'll do the little intro for those who don't know or haven't listened to community pulse. We always have a little section at the end about checkouts. These can be things related to what we've been talking about during the episode, or maybe things that we just thought were cool that we saw during the last week or the last month since the last episode. Um, I will go ahead and start. I'm usually the one to kick it off. Uh, so since we have been talking about online events, uh, and a lot of you know that I'm a big fan of Tito, uh, Tito.io is a great service for selling tickets to your event. Uh, they're amazing. And they kind of saw what was happening immediately. So Paul Campbell and his team over at Tito created a project called Vito. It's called Vito because he was watching The Godfather when he came up with the idea for it. But it is a way to hold your online event. So you should check, definitely check it out. If you've ever used Tito and had a great experience, you know that their team is dedicated to giving you a wonderful experience with everything they do. So please check it out at Vito.community and we'll have the link in the show notes. And then of course, because I am such a fan of so many things musical, I was super excited that last night on Apple TV, which I don't have, but I found ways to get to, that's not important. Uh, the Beastie Boys documentary, uh, shot by, directed by Spike Jones, came out um, last night. It's very exciting. Uh, afterwards, they actually all three went on. Uh, so Ad Rock, Mike D, and Spike Jones went on Reddit and did an AMA for about three hours to answer any questions that came up about the documentary or what they'd done. Uh, it was really cool and really exciting. I think it's an interesting an interesting take on something that was very historic in the world of music, in the world of hip hop, and just kind of in the general weird alternative culture thing that kind of happened in the late eighties and early nineties, uh, where people were kind of coming together and saying, Hey, we should have things that actually speak about the things that we care about. Um, so the Beastie Boys documentary on Apple TV, check that out. Those are my checkouts. Who would like to go next? So I have one checkout because it's, all consuming and um been a big part of basically my entire life when i'm not focused on work um and that is uh animal crossing on the switch which i'm sure most of y'all have heard of since it's become quite a cultural phenomenon of late um i realized recently that i've actually been playing animal crossing for about 10 to 12 years now, just because I got a random Facebook memory telling me with a picture of me on my DS playing Animal Crossing, I look thrilled. And like, so this is just, I just have been spending my time like um, basically working for Tom Nook when I'm not working for HubSpot. Um, and Tom Nook is a raccoon 
CEO who is basically like trying to build towns and build uh, islands and take over the world. And I'm doing all of his work. So I'm building all these houses and making friends along the way. And <laughs> um, I'm very absorbed by it. I have, if anyone wants to come visit my island, please hit me up on Twitter. Um, I'm trying to gather as much iron and clay as possible right now. None of this is helpful if you're not playing the game, but I just thought I'd speak in code for the folks who are. I did, um, I did I did see a funny a funny story on Twitter about Animal Crossing yesterday yeah. where a young lady said my turnip prices and if you play the game you know what this means. Yep. My turnip prices are like 208 if you're interested here is my code come to my island and Elijah Wood <laughs> of of Lord of the Rings fame was like sent her slid into the DMs and was like yo 208 send me your code. And yeah. showed up on her island she has pictures on her Twitter of Elijah Wood walking around her island. Um I thought that I'm not a big fan of the game, but what a, what an interesting, what a cute way for people to get together, it's especially like its release date. Could it be that the people of, at Animal Crossing decided to create an entire virus simply to make people pay, I mean, play their game? I no. can't say no. Conspiracy theories abound. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Usually we, I have two of these, but that's all I've got. It's really all I've been doing other than work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to, uh, an open source tool that I really wish was getting more attention, and that's Jitsi. Um, it's a it's an open source video conferencing a la Zoom, but um, you can roll your own. And they just announced that they're uh, debuting end-to-end encryption. Uh, so it, it it's 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 a really great tool. And um, when I was at Atlassian, I worked with the 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 Jitsi team. Uh, Emil was was right next to me, and I really loved their passion for not only what they did, but for who they're enabling and what use cases in terms of getting tools out to people and in their hands. And so I really wanted to make sure that I, I give them a shout out and hopefully that this is their time to shine. And I, I want them to take all the headlines. Um, and um, Jitsi, if you haven't checked it out, I would say you can even roll your own server and host your own meeting. So please take a look at that. So for me, there are two. Uh, the first one that I want to give a shout out to is a platform called Hey Summit. Um, it is a virtual conference, virtual summit platform that I've actually been looking at for something that I'm doing on the side. Um, it's really easy to use, um, really intuitive, has some really decent integrations with things like um, Big Marker or um, Zoom. So uh, if you're looking for, you know, something to explore virtual conferences with, Hey Summit is a great resource. I've also been addicted to this podcast called Inc. Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. There have been some really great names um, that she's spoken with and have given some really practical advice. So if you're kind of dabbling in the world of being a founder, that is a great podcast to check out. I've been listening to it all week when I'm supposed to be being productive and doing work, but I am being productive and doing work. I'm just listening to that podcast at the same time. So um, those are those are my two. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that leaves just me, right? Uh, so the two things I'm going to share um, is uh, the first one is Twitch. I've started a new channel for myself on Twitch. Um, many of us on my team are now moving m- much of our content that we were using on the tour and just different events. Um, and yeah, just kind of talking about it over there and, and doing weekly shows uh, on Twitch. So go check that out. It's honestly pretty good. I, w- I had never used Twitch. I kind of just thought of it as a, as a 
gaming streaming only platform. And then as of late, I've gone in and started kind of creeping and watching other people, you know, do live coding sessions and, and show off anything and everything. I mean, there's people in there playing music, people in there, you know, doing Lego. There's people, there's all kinds of stuff, uh, exercise. So if you're looking for another uh, platform and you haven't ex uh, looked into Twitch, even though it's been around forever, it's actually really good. Um, and I'm starting to move a lot of my time and effort over to Twitch. And then my second checkout is related to that. If you've never done a Twitch stream, if you've never really tried to broadcast yourself, uh, OBS is kind of the default lang or the default application that everybody uses out there. There's a couple of forked uh, versions of it, a couple of like, different versions, and I'm using one called Streamlabs, which I really, really like. Um, so for anybody who's looking to get into streaming to doing stuff on Twitch, um, uh, I'm using Streamlabs with Twitch works great. If you got any questions, reach out to me. I'm happy to help you get set up and uh, I'll pass it over to PJ to take us out of here. All right. Well, first off, I mean, of course, Wesley, Marjorie, thank you so much for being with us. I think we had an awesome conversation. I think people definitely are going to have a better understanding of online communities versus uh, how things are working in real life and nothing's working in real life right now. So it's, it's super poignant. We time this perfectly. Thank you so much for taking the time out and, and talking to us. We really appreciate it. Um, and I think this is going to be awesome. You're probably going to get a lot of Twitter hits and questions afterwards, I'm sure. Um, to everybody who's listening, thanks for being with us once again. If you could leave us feedback on Twitter, we are at community underscore pulse. Uh, you can find us wherever your favorite podcasts are located, and there's always feedback places. Uh, it's not just on Apple Podcasts, but everywhere we'll allow you to leave feedback, and we're always happy to hear from you. Um, as always, I'd love to close out the Community Pulse with a quote from uh, the hip-hop culture in which I love to delve. And of course, since we mentioned the Beastie Boys, I will quote them. Uh, the great Ed Rock once said, um, so this is what I've got to say to you all. Be true to yourself and you will never fall. With that, thank you so much for another episode of Community Pulse and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io, on Twitter at community underscore pulse, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts.